0: All right, everyone, what's your, what's your answer? What's, what's the most tempting dessert? What can you not say no to? I've got apple crumble down the front here. That's a good shout, isn't it? Trifle. Trifle. Yeah. Ah, okay. Interesting. What else? Ice cream. Ice cream. Just ice cream? Just ice cream. What flavour? <laughs> Vanilla. It's a classic. On, yeah. It's a classic. What else is there? cheesecake. Excellent. Or cheese. or cheese on its own. Cheese platter. It's an adult dessert. Adult dessert. <laughs> uh, yes, very good. These are the things that are tempting, aren't they? We're going to think about temptation tonight as we hit uh, uh, Matthew's biography of Jesus in chapter four. Let me pray for us as we begin and I will, we'll uh, think more about the temptation of Jesus. Our loving Father, thank you that you do speak to us in the scriptures. Please help us understand clearly what you are saying tonight in uh, Matthew chapter 4. And uh, we ask that you might uh, help us follow Jesus well as we read this passage. Amen. The dessert I can't say no to is sticky date pudding. Oh, look at this. Everyone's regretting your own decisions now. Yes. Sticky day pudding is delicious. Uh, my wife, Lucy, cheese platter. Yeah, cheese platter. So weird, I don't get it. Um, for my kids, their favorite dessert is literally anything we call dessert. they just go for it. They love it. We don't buy Nutella anymore because uh, we can't have it in the house. We'll just eat it, a whole jar of it. In a day and a half, it'll be gone. I can't say no. How do you say no to temptation? Uh, do I just need to go on a, a no-sugar diet? Do I just go cold turkey? Is that the way to say no to temptation? Maybe I just need to be stronger, I need more willpower. Uh, maybe I need to be scared into it with a diabetes info pack. Maybe that'll help me say no to temptation. You no, know, the thing that's actually meant to be the most helpful thing in saying no to temptation is shame. Maybe I just need you all to shame me into not eating Nutella. Please don't, but you know, it might actually help. (laughs) What makes it harder to resist temptation of any kind though, is the fact that we are are constantly told and we constantly think. The message we get every day actually is that we shouldn't necessarily say no to temptations. We hear from uh, the world around us, from our friends, uh, we think ourselves that you shouldn't deny your own inner desires. Hmm. Uh, You should do what feels right. What did we think about at kickoff day yesterday? You do you, yeah. Maybe uh, me eating Nutella is just me being my most authentic self. Maybe I should eat Nutella more. As we uh, we we thought at kickoff day yesterday, a little bit about what is valuable and good about the idea that you do you or you know be authentic to yourself. Uh, but now we're going to take a look at Matthew's biography of Jesus, and we'll see how Jesus handles temptations. Now last week, uh, we saw a very defining moment for who Jesus is. We watched as Jesus got baptized and he saw the the spirit descend on him like a dove and he heard the father's voice. You are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. This is who Jesus is. Now tonight, we see this um, identity, this mission of Jesus put to the test. Put to the test. Is, is Jesus really God's beloved son? Does he really have the spirit resting on him? Is he going to act like it? That's what's being questioned in Matthew chapter 4. Uh, perhaps he's going to fall at the first hurdle and uh, give in to temptation. There are three tests that Jesus faces. Ben's going to show you on the screen where we're going tonight. This outline is also in your course outline. If you are a note taker, it's in there. And uh, the first test Jesus faces is hunger. The second test he faces is cheap success. And the third test is power without pain. These are the tests Jesus faces in Matthew chapter four. I would suggest that we often daily face very similar tests. And so our last point will be, uh, having seen how Jesus handles these tests, we'll, uh, we'll look at Jesus as our example as we face temptation, our help as we face temptation, and our saviour when we succumb to temptation. That's where we're going tonight. Before we get to point one, though, uh, I want to tell you three very quick things that will help us orient ourselves to this chapter. Uh, Verse one sets the scene for us, and we'll spend a second here in verse one before we hit uh, point one. Let me read verse one of chapter four in uh, Matthew's biography of Jesus. Matthew says... Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Right, three quick things to say about this verse. The first is that the Spirit is in control. The Holy Spirit is in control of what is happening. Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit for the purpose of being tempted by the devil. God the Holy Spirit, he knows what he's doing and he is present with Jesus the whole time. He is present with Jesus the whole time. The Spirit is in control. Secondly, Jesus is living Israel's life over again. Jesus is living Israel's life over again. Jesus goes into the wilderness and Israel, God's people in the Old Testament, they've, they had spent 40 years in the wilderness, tested by God. Uh, that's what we read in Deuteronomy chapter eight. Uh, Moses said that God tested them to see whether or not they would keep his commandments. How do you think they did? I got a shake, a shake of the head back there. They did not that well, let's just say. They were terrible at keeping God's commandments. So here is Jesus reliving the story of Israel, going into the wilderness, being tested, and he's reliving the testing of Israel. This time, will he pass the test? That's uh, the second thing. The spirit is in control. Jesus is living Israel's life over again. And the third thing to see is that Jesus is tempted by who? By the devil, By the devil. Freaky stuff. He's also named in verse three, he's named the tempter, and in verse 10, he's named Satan. Uh, now, do we really believe in Satan anymore? Do we really believe in Satan? We believe that some things are evil, sure. but I don't know if we uh, believe that all, I don't know if we believe in the embodiment of all evil. I don't know if we believe in a supernatural being. We kind of trivialise Satan, don't we? Here's how our culture pictures Satan. Uh, oh, there we go. That's that's funny, Satan. Haha. ha. Uh, we or we, we you know, the other thing we do is kind of depersonalise him, but in a still terrifying way. Who knows what this is? It's Stranger Things. It's the demogorgon. Very good. It's freaky, but it's not personal in any way, so it's kind of removing ourselves from Satan. I like this image. This is Satan depicted as a snake, snake Satan, Um, uh, like from the Garden of Eden. Uh, Because in the Garden of Eden, in Genesis chapter 3, that's where we first meet Satan. What does he do there? He tempts, he tests uh, humanity into disobeying God. And that's what he's doing here in Matthew chapter 4. He is tempting the the ultimate human Jesus into disobeying God Adam and Eve gave into temptation what will Jesus do alright let's get to point number one test number one is hunger Jesus is hungry because he hasn't eaten for 40 days and 40 nights look at verse 2 after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights he was hungry yes very good I think I would be too uh 40 days and 40 nights, I think, is meant to remind us of Israel spending 40 years in the wilderness. My kids are hungry 40 minutes without food. Uh, Imagine the state of Jesus. Yeah, he'd be weak. He'd be exhausted. He'd be vulnerable. And so the devil sees his opportunity and approaches Jesus to test him. Verse 3, then the tempter approached him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Notice how the devil frames this. If you are the Son of God, uh, we've seen at uh, the baptism of Jesus, God the Father has just said, This is my Son. And now the devil is saying, if, you, if that's true, if you are the Son of God, well then, you should be able to do this. The test for Jesus is, Are you going to do your job as God's Son? Are you going to be who you're meant to be as God's Son? And the way Satan gets into this is by going, You're hungry. Eat something. Now, what could be wrong with that? What's wrong with eating? Um, well, I think the answer is that Satan's not an idiot. He's, he's subtle. He's not going around tempting us to murder people and rob banks and watch the world burn. That's not what Satan's doing. He's not obviously evil. He's subtle. He's going around whispering in our ear that we can't trust God to provide for us that we've got to rely on ourselves and not on God. That's how Satan is at work. And uh, when we give in to that temptation and rely on our own strength rather than the Lord's, sometimes it goes fine, sometimes it doesn't go fine, but always we forget God, always we forget God. That's what Satan wants us to do. Satan is subtle. You're hungry, how about you have some food? Satan takes advantage of our weaknesses to tempt us. Uh, Jesus is hungry and he's weak. Uh, Kids' books are a good source of life advice. I recommend you read kids' books. This uh, is one of my kids' favourites, the ABC Kids Book of Feelings. It's got some good advice in here. Let me read you this page. Feeling hungry can make you cranky. Your body feels better after something to eat. It's fun to feel fit and active again. Good advice. Listen to this. Feeling hungry can make you cranky. Feeling hungry does make you more susceptible to yelling at people. Feeling tired is when you're less likely to say no to temptation, when you're more likely to give in to temptation. When you're hungry, when you're tired, watch out for the tempter. You're hungry. How about you have some food? That's all he's saying. Um, After all, when Israel were in the wilderness for for 40 years, God gave them food. He fed them manna, uh, bread. Uh, Why not feed yourself, Jesus? If God fed his people, why not feed yourself? Jesus knows the story too, though. And this is the story that he quotes back to the devil. In verse 4, look at verse 4. Jesus answered, it is written... Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Satan knew Jesus was hungry. He didn't know what Jesus was hungry for, though. Jesus is hungry for the word of God. He knows what truly sustains life. He knows what truly satisfies. He knows what truly tastes good. He knows that it's the words of the Lord that does this. This is what Israel were meant to learn in the wilderness. Uh, Did I give you Deuteronomy chapter 8 then? Let's see. Did Deuteronomy chapter 8. Moses says, He humbled you by letting you go hungry, that he gave you manna to eat, which you and your ancestors had not known, so that, here's the purpose, you might learn that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Their hunger for food, Israel's hunger for food, was meant to teach them To hunger for God and His Word. But it didn't. Jesus hunger for food. Jesus does hunger for food, yes. But more than that, He hungers for God's Word. That's what Jesus is hungry for. When we are hungry, uh, it's easy to duck out and grab some KFC, isn't it? But let me ask you, what are you truly hungry for? Don't say KFC, Seb. What are you truly hungry for? KFC degustation menu. No. What are you truly hungry for? What truly sustains your life? If you start to think about reading your Bible as um, eating, your Bible as feeding you, I think that can uh, revolutionise your relationship with God when you start feasting on his word. You start to find true fulfilment and satisfaction there. Jesus is hungry for the word of God. And so he passes the first test. He's passed the first test. And so we're on to test number two, cheap success. The second test that Jesus faces is the temptation of cheap success. You're all uni students. You want cheap success, don't you? Satan has heard Jesus quote the scriptures to him, and he says, all right, two can play at that game. So Satan quotes the scriptures back at Jesus. And effectively what Satan is saying that if you are God's son, God will not let harm come to you. So let's test it. Let's see. Look at verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will give his angels orders concerning you and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. The, the, uh, the devil takes Jesus right up somewhere on, on the, the temple mount. Here's a, a, a reconstruction of what the temple looked like in the first century. And all I want you to see is that there are lots of places to fall off. It's hard to know exactly where they are. I hate heights. Like Satan's not getting me up there. But, uh, Satan's got Jesus up there. And he says, throw yourself off from here and God will protect you. You are the son the Messiah, the King after all, God's not going to let harm come to you. And I think what the uh, the devil is offering here is cheap success. Let's test this whole son of God thing here and we'll get proof. Now, I wonder if Satan is actually kind of hoping that Jesus will jump and that no angels will come to catch him and, you know, that'll be that problem dealt with. But even if the angels do catch him, the temptation for Jesus is to test God's promise to test God's promise. Uh, the devil is trying to create a situation in which God's hand is forced. The father will have to act to save the son. I wonder if we are ever tempted to force God's hand like this. If I go to church this week, God will have to bless me. He'll have no choice. Do you ever think like this? If I'm a nice person, God will have to give me nice things that's how it works. God's promised to give good things to his people. God better give me good things then. Sometimes we experiment with God. I'll see what I can offer God in exchange for that relationship, in exchange for that high distinction. Whatever you want out of him. But Jesus knows that this is not how God works. This is not how you and God work together. The devil quotes scripture, but Jesus quotes scripture right back at him. So verse 7, Jesus told him, It is also written, Do not test the Lord your God. Don't presume to test God. You cannot experiment with God. In the wilderness, God was testing Israel. And at certain points, Israel thought, Let's test God. They say, this is Exodus 17, they say, Is God really among us or not? If he is, then he should give us water to drink. They're testing God. But Jesus, the new Israel, knows that you are not to test the Lord your God. He doesn't put God to the test. He doesn't get cheap success. And so he passes the second test. And so test number three, power without pain. I think this test is is less subtle. I think satan knows his subtlety is not working and so he tries he tries the sledgehammer approach here he offers jesus a, a path to victory without the cross look at verse eight again the devil told him uh no the, again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor and he said to him i will give you all these things if you will fall down and worship me I think this is probably a visionary experience. This is what you can see from the tops of mountains. You can't see all the kingdoms of the world, but isn't that spectacular? And Satan says, you can have all this. It's very important to understand that Satan cannot deliver on this promise. He can't actually give Jesus world dominion. Jesus is the one through whom and for whom the world was created, as Colossians tells us. And so it's not simply uh, world domination that is tempting Jesus here. I think it is the the way that he can get it, the path to world domination. Satan is offering him a path to world domination that does not go through pain, that does not go through the cross. Do you want power without pain? I bet you do. I bet you want to be a vet without the process of getting into vet and then having to study vet for the next five and a half years do you want to get your degree without the pain of studying do you want to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend without the pain of asking them out risking rejection don't you want to be physically healthy without the pain of going to the gym you want to be emotionally and mentally healthy without the pain of going to a counsellor we hate pain i realize how much i hate pain when i when i know i have to get a covid test even though it's just a tickle, I get nervous because I know that it's actually going to hurt me. I don't want pain. And so we go to great lengths to avoid it. We eat junk food instead of exercising. Ah, that feels better. Give me some apple crumble. Then we don't bother going to the dentist. (laughs) We cheat on assignments. We want results, but we hate pain. And Jesus is offered the ultimate victory without any pain at all. Just fall down and worship me, says Satan. Ah, that sounds easy. But what does Jesus say? Verse 10. And Jesus told him, Go away, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Only the Lord your God is worthy of worship and is worthy of your service. When you avoid pain... What are you serving, do you think? Is it your own comfort? Maybe it's your own self? No, Jesus says, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So Jesus passes the third test. And it seems the battle is won. Uh, Verse 11, the devil leaves and the angels come to serve the victorious king. Jesus has passed the test, but temptation to sin is common to all humans So let's spend a few minutes on our final point now, and we'll see how Jesus helps us when we are tempted. Our last point, point four Jesus, our example, Jesus, our helper, Jesus, our saviour. So, first, Jesus, our example. When you face temptation to sin, uh, one way that you can resist temptation is by doing what Jesus does here. Jesus is human, as we are, so this is a strategy for humans. He quotes the scriptures. That's what he does. He quotes the scriptures. When you are tempted to look at porn, quote the scriptures. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 3, for this is God's will, your sanctification, that you keep away from sexual immorality. When you're tempted to respond to someone in anger, you quote the scriptures. James chapter 1 verse 19 and 20, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. When you're tempted to devote yourself in service to an idol, to your Uh, to your family, to your career, to money, to something that is not God. Quote the scriptures, Matthew chapter 4, verse 10. Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. When we face temptation, Jesus is our example as a fellow human. Jesus is our example. Secondly, Jesus is our helper. He has faced temptation. He has passed the test. He can help us. If you're a first year, you know that you can go to a second year for help because they've passed the exams. Jesus knows what it's like. So too can Jesus help us remain faithful in the face of temptation because he did remain faithful. So Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18, up on the screen. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18. For since he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. It would be a massive mistake. massive mistake to think from Matthew chapter 4, now I have to go off and face temptation and, and say no all by myself. That would be a massive mistake. You are not alone as you face temptations. You can call out to Jesus in prayer when you face temptations. Help me, Lord Jesus. And he does hear. And he does help by the same spirit that drove him into the wilderness and who was with him as he resisted the temptations of Satan. When we face temptation, Jesus is our example. Jesus is our helper. And thirdly, Jesus is our savior. It would be a massive mistake to read this story and think, now I have to go off and withstand temptation all on my own. That would be a massive mistake because you will give in to temptation you will eat that ice cream. You will think those thoughts. You will do those things. And if what you've taken from Matthew chapter 4 is that I have to go off and withstand temptation all on my own, it will crush you. That is not what you should take from Matthew chapter 4. It's ridiculous to think you won't give in to temptation. When you do give in to temptation, you need lock this in. You need to know that Jesus is your saviour. Jesus is your savior. I mean that here in chapter four, Jesus and Satan go head to head and Jesus wins. He is victorious. Uh, Jesus doesn't bow to Satan. In fact, he does go to the cross. And as Jesus dies on the cross, when he is risen, when, when he is raised to life again, that is the ultimate defeat of Satan. You think Satan is vanquished in Matthew chapter four, No, you wait till the cross and he is gone for good. It is the ultimate defeat of Satan. He is vanquished. Satan has no claim on you anymore. He might tempt you to sin before you go to bed tonight. He might do that, but he has no eternal claim on you. He might tempt you to sin tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday, but he has no eternal claim on you. Jesus does. Satan might tempt you into sin constantly. But Jesus has the claim on you. Look at this mosaic. Look at this mosaic. This is a, a lovely one. The victorious Jesus tramples Satan under his feet. That is the reality that we see in Matthew chapter 4. Satan cannot defeat Jesus. Jesus has defeated Satan. And so, friends, when you give in to temptation, not if... But when, there will be consequences. All that KFC is not good for you. But there aren't (laughs) eternal consequences because you are in Christ. Because there there is an empty battlefield. And there is a victorious king. And there is grace given to all God's children. Jesus is our example. He is our help. And most precious of all, he is our Saviour. Let's pray, and then I'll take some questions after that. Let me pray for us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And please do not bring us into temptation, but please deliver us from the evil one. Thank you, loving Father, for delivering us from the evil one by the victory of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit forever and ever. Amen. Friends, we're in a a new location, but uh, same as normal, we'll take some questions in question time. Now, there are two ways you can ask me some questions. One way is you can, uh, if you don't want to stick your hand up and shout it out, uh, here is a QR code that you can scan with your phone. That will take you to a Google form that you can ask a question on. It's also a chance if you're new or visiting, you can leave your details with us if you would like. So uh, I'll let you do that now while I take some questions from the floor. Anyone got a question? There's one. Matt? the second temptation Satan says he will give his angels orders concerning you they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone how does that fit with the cross since he does seem to come to some harm yeah. um, uh, that is a good question that I, I can't see how you would be able to read this this is Psalm 91 I think that it's being quoted I can't can't see how you would read that psalm as a promise that God's king will never suffer harm of any sort. It seems like... um, Could you not say that... uh, Well, we're in Matthew chapter 4 and uh, Jesus is saying some things that could get him killed already and he is not killed for another 22 chapters. So I uh, I think that might be twenty two chapters of the Father Protecting the Son. And uh uh I'll have to think more about how it relates to the cross. because uh, that's a very good question. But I'll come back to you during the week. Felicity. Do like in the wilderness? like Okay. First why is it kind of just in the wilderness, like just hanging out? Yeah. Yes. In knowing that he's going to not oh good okay two part question the first one is what on earth is Jesus doing hanging out in the wilderness without food um, uh, Matthew doesn't explain it for us he just says that well he does actually his purpose is to be tempted by the devil that's the purpose uh, that's what Matthew tells us to be tempted by the devil what a ridiculous thing to go and do Uh, There's some speculation, what is Jesus doing for 40 days and 40 nights? If he's not eating, what is he doing? Uh, Some commentators think perhaps he is praying for his people. Fasting often comes with prayer. Maybe. Um, uh, I suspect what Jesus is doing is consciously embodying the story of God's people. I think he knows. God's people spent 40 years in the wilderness. I will spend 40 days in the wilderness. They were hungry in the wilderness. I will be hungry in the wilderness. I think that's probably what he's doing. I think it's probably conscious from Jesus, reenacting the story of Israel. And the second part of your question was why is Jesus following the devil around? Um, I don't get any sense here, do you? I don't get any sense here that Jesus is out of control. He does seem to have control. Um, uh, Verse 5, for example, the devil took him to the holy city. how does that conversation play out? Come over here, Jesus. All right, fine. Um, I feel like that with my kids a lot. They say, come here, dad. Know. okay, fine. But they're not making me do anything. I'm going with them. Um, uh, so I suspect that uh, what Jesus is doing, following around the devil is allowing himself to be tempted. Uh, as Hebrews chapter two told us, since he was tempted, he no- first of all, he knows what it is like for us. and so. He can have sympathy with us because he knows what it is to be tempted. Uh, I said that was firstly. What was secondly? Uh, He's able to become a a perfect high priest for us. And uh, uh, since he is tempted but does not sin, uh, that has implications for the cross, for our salvation. If he did sin when he went to the cross, he would have to pay for his own sin. Uh, But since he doesn't have to pay for his own sin at the cross, his bank account is full and he can pay our debt. Uh, good two-part question. I'll leave it there. Do you have one, Ben? Oh, so I was just wondering if he's out in the wilderness by himself, did he get back and tell his disciples what happened? Oh, yeah, how do we know? How does Matthew know what happened? It seems to be like a personal interaction with Jesus. It's fairly unusual, isn't it, uh, that normally in the in the biographies of Jesus they, uh, they are public events. Uh, but, yeah, I guess it does seem like... Jesus would have had to tell this story, or Satan told this story. I don't know which one you think it was, but I'm, my guess is Jesus. Uh, I presume that is, that is how the gospel writers know. And the story seems to have circulated a fair bit. Luke and Mark have the same stories. Luke has the same story, but in a different order. So it seems like the stories were quite well known in the early church. I'll go to the last question, Karis. Mm. How can we be sure that, um, like Satan's distorting scripture? How can we be sure that when we're using scripture, we're using it rightly? Oh. Yes, that's a great question. If one strategy to resist temptation is to is to quote the scriptures, we see Satan quoting the scriptures. We assume he's misquoting, do we? Or quoting out of context? Yes, quoting wrong. That's a great question, Karis. Uh, you can uh, you can misquote the scriptures to justify anything. Uh, the most recent example was. Uh, uh, what do you think this was used for? Uh, what the quote is: "No greater love, ha- uh, no greater love is this than to lay down one's life for one's friends." It's a quote from the New Testament. Who used that to justify what? Uh, Putin used it to justify the war in Ukraine. Yeah, so you can quote the scriptures to say anything. Uh, that was uh, yesterday. Uh, how do you know that you're quoting the scriptures correctly? Oh. Uh, uh, if you follow Jesus, you have the spirit who helps, you read the script, who helps you read the scriptures well because he is the author of the scriptures. Satan doesn't have the spirit. I'll leave it to your judgment if Vladimir Putin has the spirit or not. Uh, but I think the Spirit will help you read the Scriptures correctly. Your community will help you read the Scriptures correctly. Uh, the, the, uh, the Scriptures are the church's Bible, not your Bible. Uh, and so if you're struggling with, a, with a, a passage or a way to interpret the Scriptures, this is why we are here together. So this is why we are asking questions together, uh, so that other people can help you understand it, so the Spirit community will help you understand it. and. Uh, Well, I'm going to give you that for now. That'll be enough. Um, uh, And uh, you know what? A third thing is an awareness that you might be misinterpreting the Scriptures. Uh, So I want to say humility. Humility will be a good guard against getting the Scriptures wrong. I'm not sure if Satan has humility. Uh, I think he's probably twisting the Scriptures a bit here to try and uh, provoke a reaction in Jesus and... Jesus seems to say that whatever you think Psalm 91 is about, it can't be about testing God. And uh, so there's a fourth thing for you. <laughs> you let the scriptures interpret the scriptures. Uh, uh, Satan's offered an interpretation of Psalm 91, and Jesus has said, ah, but this other part of the scripture actually constrains your interpretation a bit and tells you that you're wrong. And so if you know the scriptures well, broadly, uh, that will help you make certain judgments uh, I'm going to leave it there, if you want more tips. We are a community, so ask each other, that'll do it. Uh, we've, seen, uh, we've, seen, we've seen Jesus resisting temptation, what you need to see is grace at work. This is the Spirit helping him, and uh, remember it is a mistake to go out from this passage thinking I need to now do this work of resisting temptation myself that won't get you anywhere. You've got to remember grace. And so please stand because we're going to sing in response to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ.